Two minutes it is now after 8 p.m. We continue with uh, the money conversations. And maybe I can just play that, uh, you know, uh, a business rap lineup because Isawangati, we're continuing uh, with uh, the money chats. Uh, it is Savings Month here in South Africa. And recently on the show, we spoke about a new study uh, that uh, uh, found more South Africans contribute uh, uh, or continue to work, I should say, way beyond their retirement age. We also know many of us are looking for side hustles. And uh, this, uh, the reason for this, among many other things, is that many of us don't have enough savings to retire and household disposable incomes continue to be squeezed. And uh, the big question, of course, is uh, uh, how much ought we all to be saving and uh, can we save? And uh, I'm joined in studio for our Under the Microscope uh, edition on this uh, Thursday by uh, Nicolette Machile. She's an entrepreneur. She's uh, also a uh, TV anchor. You might know her there on Daily Theater. And uh, also uh, runs a very, very popular YouTube page, uh, sharing all manner of insights. And uh, as I was saying and when we started, Nicolette, that uh, I would uh, describe you as a financial thought leader. But, uh, you know, I mean, what, what description, what hat are you wearing today? I thought leader, thought man. Leader, I've never man. thought about it. <laughs> I, always, I, always, I always position myself as a financial literacy champion, you know, um, really pushing for financial education. Mm. But I think thought leader sounds great. Thought leader, eh? I'm an, in a professionalism, thought leader. Yes. Detent. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Metro <laughs> FM Talk. First time, first time, your debut. Yes. yes. I'm so happy yes. to be here. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Awesome, oh. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Nicolette, it's savings month. Um, and I must say, it's uh, certainly been, I, I hope, a busy savings month for you. Uh, and I guess a good starting point for, 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 for this entire conversation is always that, you know, people say, I don't have enough money. Mm. I'm not earning enough money. Like mm. uh, my money doesn't stretch as far as the month or even as much as uh, 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 my problems, mm. you know? Um, is that... <sighs> is that true? I, I want, does get a sense that it's true. Look, it's it's a common sentiment. And um, I always look at it in two ways. Oh, three ways, maybe, potentially. There is one, there's a group of people who are just bandwagon. They're oh. just jumping on it. It's the bandwagon bias. Oh. If, they, if, if this is what people are saying, therefore, I'm also going to follow what people are saying. Then there are people who really don't have enough money to go around for them to save. So what those people generally do is they look at alternative ways of saving. Sure. So it's versus taking a monetary figure and putting it away every single month. But perhaps I can save by getting a life insurance policy mm. because that I am still saving for future use, right? And then there are people who really are living way above their means. And it's important that people need to understand that when you when we talk about saving, you cannot do it in isolation. And that's what people try to when do. When you say isolation, what do you mean? So the thing about money is that money has a various number of rules, mm. right? For you to be able to keep your money, you've got to manage it correctly. It's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep. Mm. You've got to live below your means. You've got to stay out of bad debt. So there's various things that you've got to do. But if you've got bad debt, you're living way above your means, where are you going to find the money to save? How? You know, so you can't want to do saving on its own, mm. yet you haven't done, you're not doing the other things. And you're the not money management them. side. The yeah. money management side. Mm. So it's important for you to be able to understand that you've got to live a little bit below your means so that you actually do have money to put away. That also in itself is problematic. Why? Because we say pay yourself first. So you actually need to adjust your life to what is left after you have paid yourself first. And it's a, dis- it's a very difficult concept for people to grasp. Hmm. And, and you speak about bad debt. And, and, and one would say, I mean, it, by you sort of using that adjective, that it Based implies that debt. there are good, 
there are good forms of debt as well. Let's maybe yeah. talk about the bad ones and uh, come back to the good ones. Man, uh, you know, I talk about bad debt all the time because bad debt is your expensive debt. And you immediately know it's really expensive. They're just based on the interest rate that you're being given mm. and also the rules that play around that type of debt. It generally doesn't have any type of asset attached to it. So it's called unsecured lending. So no security. There's absolutely sure. no security, no type of, they don't even, and most of the time, most of the financial institutions are quite lenient when it comes to that type of debt. It mm. actually is the the backbone of financial institutions because it's quick, it's in, it's out. They know that you will be desperate enough to pay it because it's also that type of debt that makes you uncomfortable, mm. right? Mm. So it's that debt where you don't even read the five print you sign and because you're desperate. Most of the time when people take up that kind of debt is people who are already in desperate and distressed situations. Mm. So it's things like your temporary loans, dipping into your overdraft, using your credit card badly. And I say that because a credit card is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, things like revolving loans, temporary loans. It's generally those things that you do in Jane's secret. <laughs> you know? Less a cell phone. Where you don't even have to walk into the bank. Yeah. Those are generally what is called your, your bad debt. And also, how you use your debt can classify it as bad debt. A lot of us, when we take out a loan, we never really take up what we actually need. You take up a little bit more because the bank says, no, but you don't, you're, not, you're looking for 10,000, but we can give you 12, you know. Mm. You'll still pay just like about 500. Oh, that's free money. It's, it's the most expensive 2,000 of your life. The most expensive 2,000 of your life. And you must understand that you are going to, banks, banks and any credit providers are in the business of making money. They're not CSI companies. They are in the business of making money. Therefore, you are saying, I don't have the money right now. Mm. Can you advance me the money? So if you ask me to advance you money, I'm going to charge you for it. And I'm going to try and charge you as much as possible. So that's your bad date, mm, right? Mm, mm. The good stuff? The good stuff is generally date that you kind of leverage off so that it can help you uh, increase your, your balance sheet. Mm. So basically, you'd be looking at things like your home loans. I think a car loan is good debt. I know that many uh, personal Working capital. People, like, yeah. Mm. It's about what car you buy at the end of the yeah, day. Even right. with the house. I mean, mm. if you're getting a home loan, it can turn out to be really bad debt if you didn't do the numbers, mm. right? So it's important that when you are looking for good debt, it must be a debt that eventually is sure. going to change your balance sheet and is not costing you too much to a point where you, for the first 80% of your repayment, you're servicing the interest charge. Mm. Nicolette, you know, a lot of us are raised, I guess, in this context of, you know, if the bank says it's 12%, it's 12%, mm. I'm going to close my bank book, and walk out of the door, mm. right? Because, you know, you don't, you don't talk back, mm. you, don't, mm. you don't ask any questions. Mm. Once the bank has spoken, the bank has spoken. And, and, and I think it's because generally our relationship with banking institutions only starts to be formed when you now are walking into or working in the space or mm. maybe in varsity when your parents are giving you money. Sure. So there is no need for you to ever go to a bank up until you actually start working. Mm. And most of the time, the first time you walk into a bank is either to open your bank account and the moment your bank open your bank account, you are inundated with all the different products, right? So most of the time, we don't actually have a very healthy relationship with banks. Mm. So they're very hierarchical, right? We look at them at, the, at like, it's top, it's bottom up, right? Mm. So we don't have a good relationship with financial institutions. We, I mean, if you walk, Kukasi, I'm from Bushpark Ridge. So when you're having a conversation with anybody at home and you say, oh, I work at the bank, they think you're God because working at the bank means that you can say to a person approved or not approved mm. when it comes to a loan. So every single time we go to the bank, we are begging. We are begging for something. Now, if you are begging, you've been told, Guti, if you are begging, don't come here with conditions. Beg and beg, right? I beg. So, uh, exactly. 
That's number one. <laughs> number two, most of us have never seen our credit reports. Mm. So it's like going into the next grade and the teacher saying to you, you can't take... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm old. Please, guys, you get one report card a year. Please. I mean... And Please. we've got financial institutions now that give it to you every month, Ayabonga. They, they give you an update when something changes on your, fi- on your credit report, right? They give you an alert. So you are going into grade 10. You've, ne- you, you've never seen your school report. Then they say to you, you can't take physical science. Yeah, I'm old, guys. You can't take physical science. You don't know why. You can't take physical science because you've never seen your school report. Mm. And it's exactly the same with the credit report. You walk into the bank institution, you sit across a financial uh, uh, salesperson or whatever they call themselves, and they say to you, I, ish, go bad. But we can, we can try with 15%. Sure. And you just take it. Psychologically also, because of the distressed nature of you going to have that, going into the bank with that need, mm. you will take anything. But we also know that uh, many of the people who sell us this stuff, frontline, are compensated on the basis of how many loans they can sell. They've us. got targets. Pushy volumes. Come on, Ayabonga. So if I've got targets, I'm going to push anything. Mm. Let's pause there, Nicolette, and I uh, just invite some of our listeners to weigh in on our conversation. Give us a ring on zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven if you'd like. I guess uh, to uh, tap into the well of wisdom that uh, Nicolette has on some of these issues. I'm going to be talking to her, of course, about some of the work that she does and uh, some of the quirkiest and uh, interesting advice she has received herself. It is Savings Month, and we're talking about uh, how we can ensure that there's enough money at the end of the month. 13 minutes it is after 8 p.m. And uh, under the microscope on this uh, Thursday, we're taking a look at savings here in South Africa. I'm joined by Nicolette Mashile. Uh, She is, as I said, a financial thought leader on issues of savings, investments, and of course, getting your money matters right and ensuring, as I said earlier on, that uh, there's not uh, more month at the end of your money, but more money at the end of the month. Now, Nicolette, just briefly, I mean, tell some of our listeners who might not be familiar with some of the work that you do uh, on YouTube and uh, the thought leadership and advice that you give to people. Um, I mean, I saw this one time you had some sort of washed up uh, uh, white guy that you saw. Wow, washed up white guy. (laughs) Yeah, but he was. He was. Um, And and you've had quite a few interesting people who've shared their own experiences, but also in your own life, uh, you've used that platform to, I guess, amplify and shine a spotlight on some of the lessons that you've learned. Yeah. Look, I think the most important thing that I've tried to do is to to make it very clear to the people that get to watch my stuff that money is not a thing that is living outside of you you know you make financial decisions the moment you wake up and you open your eyes Mm. and what you need to remember is the fact that the financial decision that you make today what consequence will it have on you in the near future and that's the most important thing so i i want people to understand that money is just a concept Mm. you know it's a construct that we've created yes we've given it value and sometimes i think the value goes over our heads i do this thing every single time i walk into uh talks or workshop i say to people take out your bank card and f- and wave why, it in the uh, air. Why do you do that? Because I, we need to strip away the power that money has on ah, us. Because the, uh, yes, because the thing is, we're all sitting in that room and thinking, ooh, ne black card, ooh, ne gold card, ooh, ne blue card. Well, we ooh. take them out of the club, though. <laughs> exactly. You're more than happy to take them out of the club. So I think that's the most important thing. we got to start the conversations um, around money. we got to start talking to each other because there are fundamentally a lot of things that we all go through that mm. are very similar when it comes to making financial decisions. And I wanted to create that platform to be able to say, don't look at me and judge me. And somebody, funny enough, uh, recently I did a, a blog post, a uh, vlog post, and there was a guy who said money is how we keep score. 
And mm. it, that literally was like, wow, it really is, you know? And most of the things, your job, if somebody asks you, what do you do? Yes, they want to know what your job is, but they've already got an attachment like to what they think. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> because they know or they think they know how yeah. much you are earning, right? Forgetting about all the other things that you probably are paying for or probably not paying for. Mm. So I think that is the thing is that let's, let's create a platform we're speaking about money is not taboo. We're talking about money doesn't make you seem forward mm. or crude or independent or whatever they call it. Look, I don't want to be independent. I mean, it's hard being independent. <laughs> it's so hard. So, so, so Nicolette, I mean, I guess the, the other dynamic is, of course, many people are restricted in terms of the universe of money they can work with, right? Yeah. Uh, by where you work, uh, where you live, which determines, of course, how much you'll spend on transport to get to where you work. Um, and for many people in this economy, by virtue of the fact that they are excluded from the labor market, mm. which then introduces, you know, this whole notion of a side hustle, this whole notion of entrepreneurship as a pathway to not only money, but to the intergenerational transfer of wealth. Mm. How, how big a part should that be in how we think about money and uh, more importantly uh, how we think about savings because we often say to Abandu save for when that funeral comes save yeah. for when that rainy day comes save yeah. for that crisis opportunity mm. uh, and yet we seldom say people must go and save for an opportunity exactly look I think I, at some point in my life I held seven jobs uh, seven seven jobs how many how many hours did you have in a day I had 24 and I held seven jobs not because I liked it no, I didn't like it because there was a goal at the end that I wanted. And that for me was property. I wanted mm. to buy my properties and I wanted to buy them cash. And I wanted my properties to become part of my retirement planning sure. so that when I do move on to the near whatever, <laughs> if I do die, apparently we're all going to die. I want to pass on an, a generational asset. Mm. Do you understand? Mm. I want to be able to give opportunities again while I'm still alive now to my family members to say, you can do real estate because I have bought these properties sure. start off with them and sure. actually practice right right now i'm currently holding i was actually counting it yesterday i've got four income streams and it's important for me to be able to do that because what you then do is you mm. unlock certain things about yourself sure we've had this conversation where you spoke about you know you couldn't just do one thing you had to teach yourself Nothing. something else mm. so that you start unlocking opportunities and i think people need to start looking at side hustles a little bit different mm. because people see side hustles as another job it no. doesn't have to be another job right it can be something that you create within yourself I, mm. I tell people all the time that i mean i make money on financial education now but a couple of i mean two four years ago i didn't even understand interest rates myself mm. and sometimes mm. that's what you've got to do you've got to and probably the most important and most effective and efficient and whatever the adjectives are of investing is investing in yourself sure Sure, you've sure. got to invest in yourself, Ayabonga. You've got to start unlocking those opportunities yourself. I, I, the reason why actually I'm always motivated to learn new things was I watched a video of a gentleman, I can't remember where he's from, who ended up at the Olympics. I think it was discus throw. Mm. And he had learned it all on YouTube. The entire thing. He had learned it off YouTube and he was at the Olympics. Now, if he can do that, what's stopping us? YouTube is your friend. YouTube is your friend. But of course, opportunities are not open for everybody. Course, They're not course. accessible. There are barriers as well to, to accessing it. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people who have been quite critical, mm. even of your own work, yes. have, have uh, highlighted the fact that sometimes you don't shine a spotlight on some of the barriers that are there yes. to people actually realizing 
uh, and even acting out some of the you know mm. advice that you give. Mm. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's your experience. I'm gonna smack you because know? you keep saying advice, and it's not advice. It's uh, it's education. Thought leadership. Thought leadership. Thought leadership. Thought leadership. But here's the thing, and and I said this a couple of days ago. I said we all have biases, right? Mm. We all speak about what we have been exposed to and what our experience is about. Because if I start speaking about mm. a certain income group that isn't outside of me or not me, then I'm lying. Sure. Because then I'm not speaking about a lived experience, right? I've got to speak about my lived experience and I've got to use examples from my own lived experience, which is why this entire conversation around money cannot be carried by one voice. Mm. So we, and, and that's why financial education is so important so that it starts to include us. And once we start having conversations about it, we will start to get to start to feel included. Mm. Yes, we're not going to pretend like the structures are not there. Sure. Social structures that are stopping a lot. I mean, mm. I tweeted the other day, everyone deserves wealth. And the first thing everyone threw at me was, yeah, in a capitalist country, how are we going to do that? We, we, we need to take that also away from our eyes and start looking at other ways. Mm. Because you can't tell me that the people that are managing right now to maneuver around this capitalist uh, society, they are robbing everyone. It's impossible, right? Hey, maneuver. Okay. Nicolette, let's pause there for a second because when we come back, I want us to talk about the banks, okay. which I think are central to the system of capitalism and yep. the, the possibilities and uh, I guess more written larger, the impossibilities that that creates for, for, for people by and large. And also got a few tweets that are coming through. So we'll take a look at some of those tweets and uh, hear your response to that one. Love to hear from you as well. Give us a ring on 089-110-3377. 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. I'm in conversation. Uh, as uh, we take a look, uh, it is savings month. We are looking at uh, the culture and uh, some of the behaviors around savings and investments here in South Africa and what it is we can do uh, to make sure that we've got more money at the end of the month uh, rather than a more month at the end of our money. And uh, I've got in studio Nicolette Mashile. She's a financial thought leader, an entrepreneur, uh, a broadcaster. Uh, you're a slasher, actually. So slash, slash, yes. slash, slash, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, before we went to the break, Nicolette, one of the things we're talking about, I guess, is this whole notion of sort of capitalism and the opportunities or impossibilities it creates for people. Yeah. Uh, and I might have a different view on whether or not, you know, the people who've been able to maneuver have done so because of their own wits or their own, uh, I guess, ingenuity or whatever. Mm. Uh, because I think there's a lot of there's a constellation of factors that influence uh, whether or not by accident of birth you end up on the wrong side of the tracks of or course. on the right side of the tracks. Of course. But I want us to talk about consumer education. Mm. Many of the banks have massive budgets. They have massive regulatory obligations mm-hmm. to go and inform the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, uh, you know, in some cases, you have pension funds who are sitting on massive benefits of the people that worked in the mines, you know, and who... Whose families benefits. don't even know. I mean, mm. Billions, mm. And even billions in unclaimed benefits. Mm. And, it, and it speaks volumes, I guess, about, you know, the information flows and the knowledge flows within the industry. And what many people would, would say is an imbalance in information on either side. So the banks know more about the products than some of the people that they're selling the products to. And what have been the effects of that? Look, it's, it's actually sad. So you, you spoke about, you know, the regulatory uh, obligation of mm. financial institutions to actually provide consumer financial education. Now, I've looked at the historic charter that they've got and mm. how it actually divides the type of information they need to give out and yeah. who, who they target audiences. And there's something fundamentally just wrong with it because the biggest people, the biggest where you've got the biggest problem in terms of financial education is not necessarily too much at the lower end 
in, uh, uh, income end, right? Mm. Yes, financial education is important across all board because sure. for me, it should be a human right, right? Because money is part of our lives. But you actually have a very big problem with these people they call urban poor. These mm. are the people that have access to credit, but no one is giving you credit education. And the working poor. The yeah. working poor, mm. right? And we're continuing to be in a cycle where we are funding financial institutions and they're not coming on board in giving us the right type of information. Mm. So that's number one. Number two, and I fight with financial institutions about this, is the fact that financial institutions in this country see financial education as a marketing gimmick. Mm. That for me is problematic mm. because it should be compliance. The mere fact that there's a regulatory obligation on you to do it means that it actually should be seen as compliance. It shouldn't be something that you do and you're expecting an ROI on it, right? Mm. So right there, you can already see that we've got a serious problem because financial education should be clubbed together by all the financial institutions and say, how do we actually start to fix this? Again, also, there's no willingness for me from the government side. Mm. Yes, I see FSCA. You know, they are the financial sector uh, conduct authority, yes. right? I actually had a conversation with them a couple of weeks ago and I said, where is the conduct authority on financial education? Because there is a difference between financial education and financial advisory, mm. right? Financial advisory, I'm making recommendation of products, I'm selling you a product and mm. I'm giving you advice on specific products, which is why you will find that a lot of financial advisors will probably know certain things and will be biased towards certain things. But when you speak about financial education, we start to include you as Ayabonga, we start to get you to understand why you would need a life insurance policy. How does it work? And then we want you to go to your financial advisor and say, I want this and this and this product. Give me the options and give me what looks like it's a great option for me. So I think financial inclusion is, is probably one of the other reasons why mm. part of the, 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 the social constructs that you sure. spoke about and the barriers to entry. But also another thing that I just want to throw in there... South African economic policies, man, you know, they're a bit dizzy sometimes. We really are highly taxed. And already, if you are highly taxed, you're already feeling very pressurized half of the time. So you've got that now mm. legal tax that you've got to work with. You now have this lowered salary and then you've got to deal with a thing called black tax. So there's just, mm. it always feels like there's just so much more that's taken sure. from you than actually giving back. Mm. That's why we now start saying to people, you should get a side hustle. You should become a slasher, right? But at the same time, psychologically and we've sp we've spoken about this mm. conversation about money psychology being a really a big thing sure and it's going to probably because become one of the biggest jobs that is going to come up in the future exactly. is that a lot of people sometimes do know what they're supposed to do but psychologically they are not there mm. so you get a, a an additional income stream let's say you're earning five thousand rand from it but because it almost feels like free money it almost feels like an additional mm. amount of money 80% of it goes to waste. Let's pause there. I've got some tweets here for you and I guess that they speak exactly to what you're talking about. Mm. I've got a Puretelangokbona on Twitter saying I used to borrow to fund my varsity fees and entertainment until I ended up in debt review. Fortunately, January will be my last month under it. No more borrowing for stuff that doesn't help me in the long run. Also have Dexter Apps saying the biggest problem or elephant in the room is that everybody is not talking about when we speak credit or money is how banks lend from the people who save and uh, lend from the people who save and still subsequently make money out of thin air. Or the fact that the interest earned through your investments or savings is never the same compared to the interest from loans we take through the same banks. Isn't that the biggest scam? And I guess that's that spread uh, between what they lend to you and, uh, of course, uh, how much they pay you to keep your money and go and lend it to somebody else. They're business. So they, they need a margin, mm. right? They need some margin to play in yeah. where they're able to make their money. But... 
and that's why financial education is so important because mm. once you start understanding that, once you start understanding that, in actual fact, that 6% that they claim they're giving you, mm. it's not really 6% because that's not the real return, right? You still got a minus, uh, have an inflationary adjustment. Yeah. Also, over and above that, there's probably going to be banking fees that mm. you've got to pay, right? So your real return, it can even come down to 1%. But if you have expensive debt, if you have expensive debt and you take that money and you pay into your expensive debt, you immediately get the return of the interest rate they're actually charging you. Mm. And it's an immediate return. For me, it's absolutely mind-blowing that if I'm paying a credit card or a temporary yeah. loan or whatever, and I've been given 13 14%, and I actually pay that off, what you've essentially done is you've taken the pressure of debt off yourself, the mm. shackles of debt. Number two, you've immediately gotten back 12% of interest that you would have paid. So that's why financial education is Mm. important. You've got to find a way to start actually saying to the banks, there must be a better way to do this because Mm. there's always a better way to do this. We speak about property stock files. We speak Mm. about collective buying. The banks never bargained on us ever getting to the point where we're doing collective buying because now we're saying to them, "Mm, let us slap together. We don't really want your dead. We don't really want your home loan. You know, what's a grand? Mm. Let's find another alternative. And alternatives are what really are going to put the banks out. And I guess we've always done that. I mean, look at how we've always had stockfills, how we've always had funeral and burial policies and all manner of other things. And it seems now uh, when, you know, one of the banks goes into the funeral cover space, everybody makes a big noise about it. And yet black people have always been clubbing in together and doing the same thing. And let's not run away from the fact that Mm. most of these funds, most of them are really just sophisticated stockfills. That's literally what yeah. they have. The only thing that they've managed to do mm. is to attach a certain asset sure. to it. Now, the moment you come in and say, oh, no, let's run a property stock file, everyone calls it a scam. Mm. Because they don't actually want you to do it. Mm. They don't, we don't live in a lawless country, sure. guys. Sure. There are laws. There are structures that can help you establish this thing correctly. But because it's a space that not really a lot of people want you to go into, because now what mm. you've done is that little balanced sure. fund of theirs, they, where they've got an expert that has put together a, a, a mix of a as, and a mix of mm. assets, yeah. right? Now all of a sudden that seems like a good idea with people you don't know. Nicolette? You're funding it with people you don't know, Nicolette. but you won't go into a property stock fail. Come I see, on. I see Bumble up, my <laughs> friend. Thank you so much. And uh, one day, Bazo's board. One day. Bazo, I'm a financial service provider. Come I'm on. I'm a FSP license. FSP, what, 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 what? Yeah. For a property stock firm. Look, Thank I'm you so excited. Much, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, wish you uh, all the best in the remainder of uh, Savings Month. And uh, if you want to check her out, she is on Twitter at uh, I'm Coco Mash. Nicolette. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. Awesome stuff. Let's take this brief break now. And on the other side, uh, we celebrate the six-year anniversary of the Economic Freedom Fighters. They've got a big uh, bash up this weekend in uh, Ganyamazana in Pomalanga. And uh, on the other side of this, I talk to their chairman, advocate, Dalimpofu. Stay tuned.